0: Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and E.J. Wilson, to talk about Carolina's loss against Georgia Tech. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina Apparel, they have everything that you could possibly want. T-shirts, jerseys, hats, you name it. And they probably will have it. And it's also great people, great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. And don't forget, Inside Carolina subscribers get 10% off their orders All right, let's get to the podcast. It's Mike Ingersoll, DJ Wilson. Guys, just when you think this team has it figured out, they get ran off the field by Georgia Tech. 45 to 22 down in Atlanta I'm having deja vu right now looking at your guys faces because it feels like we've done this exact podcast with Carolina looking like a lost team on the road we saw it last year at UVA at Florida State we saw it in the season opener against Virginia Tech now we're seeing it again with Georgia Tech EJ coming to you first what were your biggest takeaways
1: my biggest takeaways is that this, I mean, yeah, we gave up 45 points and we kind of looked incompetent on defense sometimes, but I mean, let, let, let's kind of take this and look at it for what it really was. We were kind of bouncing back and had our back to the walls on a lot of defensive possessions. Uh, I mean, you talk about fumble after fumble, and I know Michael gets into some of our offensive struggles that we had. And, and of course, another missed field goal. It kind of seems like it's working out the same way that all these games always work out. We're put in bad positions because of a turnover or because of a missed field goal that we honestly probably shouldn't have been attempting i mean i mean i know we have a great kicker but i mean 50 something yards on a field goal in college i mean you you can't really expect a lot of guys to go out and do that that's something that you're used to seeing on sundays and i, I just think that we're, we're putting ourselves in really bad positions i think that we honestly we, we play well with our backs against the wall i'm not going to sit here and be all doom and gloom about our defensive performance because i think the amount of points we give away gave away doesn't really tell the story Uh, third takeaway is who the heck are we on defense? I mean, I know that UVA last week didn't really attempt to run the ball, but to go from giving up 20 something rushing yards to 261 from 500 and something passing yards to only giving up a hundred and something. I mean, what is this defense? Are we, are we a run first? Are we, can we stop the run? Do we stop the pass? I mean, what do we really do well because we haven't been consistent with anything other than missing tackles, uh, this whole season. So I mean, my, my takeaway really is who is this defense and when are we going to see the real them?
2: Mike, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways? Uh, well, number one, I agree with everything EJ just said. Uh, defense was put in terrible situations the entire game and for at least the first half played pretty good. Um, you know, that they did what they needed. You know, I, I, this is one of those games where I can walk away and we had a couple of these last season. I can walk away and I can say the defense did what they needed to do for us to win this football game. You know, last week it was we shouldn't have to score 60 points to beat people. This week it was we shouldn't have had to score more than 20 to beat Georgia <laughs> Tech. Uh, in, rea- in, re- in reality, uh, but we were so stymied on offense early in the game, really through about halfway through the third quarter. And then we finally w- – what's frustrating to me is we finally seem to figure out or at least play with the type of urgency necessary to score points quickly and start pouring it on. If we had put together a couple of drives in the first quarter, the way that we put them together midway through the third quarter when we had to hop into basically two-minute drill halfway through the second half, that might have been a completely different football game. You know, The complexion of that game might have looked entirely different. And the good job the defense did do for the majority of that game might be more recognized this morning than it is, you know, than it will be, you know, throughout the rest of the week. So again, defense did what they had to do to win the game. The offense let them down on the offensive side of the ball, you know, uh, positivity pod. I think we found our offensive line combination. And I hate to say that because I love Brian Anderson and I have for several years, but I don't know that, I don't know that Q Johnson didn't win that job on Saturday. And I know that Brian's banged up and I hope that if that is what's going on, he gets healthy because he is a good football player. And if I had my druthers, I'd have him in there. He would be the starting center just from an experience standpoint and from a um, from from a from a chemistry standpoint, he's been there for so long. he seems to be very well liked in that building and amongst that line and he's he is that that senior, older, you know, long-in-the-tooth leader that they need, and they need that guy on the field. It's not as good to have him just in the meeting room and on the sidelines. They need him in the field. Um, so I hope if he's just banged up some of the, the physical shortcomings in his play, you know, if that that's the result of injury, that gets cleaned up and he's back out there, and he looks like the Brian Anderson playing the way that I know he's capable of playing. Um, but he did some things that were uncharacteristic generally though I've been seeing them recurring throughout the course of the season. And again, our interior offensive line, our interior three continue to show the same mistakes over and over again. So as a precursor to this podcast, when Taylor asked me, you know, what are the issues on the offensive line? Here's my answer. (laughs) It's coming. And this, and this will be my (laughs) answer for the rest of the season. And it's been my answer for the past three seasons. Uh, Their technique is bad. Their footwork isn't great. Their hips are too high, and they're burying their heads in pass protection, and they're getting they're getting hit with very basic backside moves. I'll give a specific example later on of how this resulted in a major sack that took us out of just field goal range, let alone even converting anything. Um, but it's just basic stuff that's easy to fix, and I don't know why it's not getting fixed. And I'm about two seconds from stopping to put it from, from from ending my rant, putting it on the players, and taking a very different position. Um, as general takeaway, positivity pod, pressure's off, boys. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it is. is. I mean, they've got the opportunity they have now is they can either run the table, go 10-2, and and still have a shot at the ACC championship game. What's really frustrating here is that if there was ever a year, based on what we saw in Raleigh, if there was ever a year to make it to the college football playoff for Carolina and have a shot, a real shot at a national championship, a legitimate shot, this was it. Yeah, Clemson's down. The ACC sucks. The conference is not good. We are the most talented, probably the most talented team, and I think Tim Hasselbeck said this on the, on the broadcast too. I think we're the most talented team left. You got to beat a down Virginia Tech team. They're not that good. They just aren't. You got to beat Tech. Georgia Tech, you got to beat a bad Georgia Tech team, and then as you get through the season, you'll have you'll have two tough games. You'll have NC State, you'll have Miami. You win those two hard games, which is absolutely doable. You go undefeated in a bad ACC. You beat a down Clemson in the ACC championship, and guess what? You're in the playoff. But with two losses, no matter what we do from here on out, that's not going to happen. I think the ACC, as a as a bigger picture issue, is out of the playoff altogether at this point, um, which is which is crazy that we're now the Pac-12. We're, we're 2021's Pac-12. But um, you know, the good news is, and I mean this sincerely, I know it sounds facetious, but I mean it sincerely. Pressure's off; they can go do whatever they want now. They rattle off, uh, they rattle off eight more wins. They go ten and two. They're going to be back ranked. It's going to be, you know, it gives the bowl game a different flavor, gives the AC championship game a different flavor, creates a little bit more hype. Maybe Sam Howell salvages some of the season he hoped to have this year. We salvage some of the season we hope to have offensively. You know, and that's and that's that. Um, I don't necessarily know that realistically that's, what's going to happen. Yeah. But if there was ever an opportunity to just kind of throw your hands up and say, we're just going to go out and play loose and play free and just try to win football games, this would be the time. So positivity pod, those are my takeaways. Any question you ask me for the rest of the podcast is going to sound a lot like that. Substantially more concise. <laughs> yeah. I just want to go ahead and get that out on the forefront so, so that we can, we can start to refine this and narrow it down for the rest of the pod. Yeah, the, the drive that
0: kind of summed up the offense's performance to me was, the, it was in the second quarter, Sam Howell throws the ball, Choffrey Brown drops it inside the five-yard line. It's, it's becoming a, a pretty serious problem where Carolina's best receiver at creating separation, Choffrey Brown just can't catch the ball. It seems like every game right now, it's it's at least one a game um, where it's it feels like a, a game changing drop, um, and you know Diami had the same problem early on. It's something that it's it's more concentration than Choffrey just not having good hands, I think, at this point. But it's it's something where the coaches have to figure out how to how to kind of dial that in for him. Second down, Sam Howell, he he holds on to the ball a bit too long um it's, it's been something we've been saying since since his that's, freshman year that
2: that's that's that that's that's a gracious way of putting that a bit too long it's very <laughs> diplomatic yes. he's get rid of the damn football
0: that's yeah. that's part of the next question i have for you but you know sam Howell, he holds on to the ball too long it's it's something we've said since game one in uh south carolina 2019 and he takes a sack kind of pushes them out of field goal range they pick up a couple of yards To get kind of back in field goal range, it's a 48-yard field goal. You false start on the field goal. Grayson Atkins makes that attempt. You back him up to 53. He pushes it left. And I just remember I was on the sideline for the game, and I just remember thinking, like, this doesn't feel like something that Carolina is going to be able to recover from even though they went, they were still leading at the time 7 to 6 and carolina has been a team that has been good in the second half this year i it just felt like something was off and every time i saw the team come back to the sidelines they were just sitting like in stunned silence like i i just kept saying like this team doesn't know how to counter what georgia tech is trying to do to them right now and that's that's just a sentence you didn't expect to say when You know, 22 days ago, we're going into the the, uh, Virginia Tech game as a top 10 ranked team, which is clearly, clearly not there anymore. And I think that's the other point where it's like, it feels like we've, we've been trying to figure out, you know, is this team great? Is this team ready to take the next step when, when you can't win on the road and you, you look so you, you have such these hot and cold performances from your home and your road games. It's like this, this team isn't great. And I think it kind of ties into the point where uh, the final point I was going to make, and I think Mike was starting to, to, to try to go down this path where it's like, I'm, I'm almost always on the side that it's, it's execution over the scheme, the coaches, the coaches didn't get to this position by, you know, by accident and what they do normally does does work or does have a chance to work but like when it's when it's coming up this often where this team just doesn't look prepared to play on the road where a team like georgia tech can just run circles around the coaches and it's something mac brown even said that he was he was disappointed in the coaches on um on his press conference saturday and i think i think it's it's definitely fair to be disappointed with the coaches because you know the Virginia, the Virginia game last year, the Florida state game last year, the Virginia tech game uh, this year, where it's like something, something the team is doing is not working when it comes to these road games, because, and just those games I listed, Carolina was like a double digit favorite on the road where it feels like all they have to do is go in and handle the business and they, they just can't get it done. But, and it's a lot of things that aren't getting corrected. Uh, kind of like Mike was saying, along the offensive line, uh, the drops with the receivers, Sam Howell holding onto the ball too long. When when the players keep making the same mistakes over and over, it's it's kind of like looking around like, what's going on? Why aren't these things getting fixed? Bad, um, bad pursuit
2: angles on defense.
1: Woo-wee. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, EJ will get
2: to that. I mean, but the point yeah. you're making is that these are things we've been talking about for three years. Yeah. Yep. yep. There comes a point where it's a player development issue. Yeah. And it's not on the, and it's not on the players to develop themselves. And I, listen, I, I'm with you. I don't like blaming coaches for stuff. I, I, I'm like you in that I firmly believe that what you are taught to do at the Division One level is designed to work and can work and will work if you do it properly. But there are a lot of other smaller things other than big general scheme right? The bi- that, that, that's the big picture. The big picture stuff is always designed to work. And if it doesn't work, it's because of the people executing it screwed it up somehow. I still believe that. I believe that's what's happening right now to an extent. But in order to be able to execute those big picture items, the little stuff, the little gap fillers, the little, the little developmental gap fillers, they got to be there too. Something is amiss here. There's, there, there is a hole here that's not being filled. And I don't know what it is. And it's not just one position group. It's across the board. Um, so that's, I, that's, I, I agree with you on that point wholeheartedly. I think it was a great one.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also, it's also like, I've seen fans who are kind of like mad for uh, I guess, like believing the hype about this team. And the only thing I'd say to that is like, this team had 21 starters coming back from a decent orange bowl showing, you know, they, they, you had a lot of reason to think that this team was going to maybe not compete for like the playoffs, but at least be the team that steps up in the coastal and says like, you know, this is, this is ours for the taking with a quarterback like Sam Howell. And it's just like, it, it's just so far from that. And we're sitting here four games into the season, talking about regression right now, which is, it's, it's, it's crazy to even say that we're sitting here talking about a team Regressing, uh, going into year three of a program, but um, Georgia Tech—they came into Saturday's game tied for 122nd in the nation with two sacks
2: through three. How <laughs> low are their uniforms ranked? <laughs> pretty, pretty low. <laughs> how, lo- how low is their head coach's game day attire ranked? God, he the does, lowest. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah, that guy uh, looks like a that guy looks like a T-ball coach. The flat brim. Was, it, was he wearing
0: a flat brim? I couldn't see on the sidelines.
2: He had the flat brim. He had the, Yay, the white guy with the area coat all over his stuff. <laughs> this guy is 404, man. The guy, I bet that guy barbecues and has great cookouts on the weekends.
0: <laughs> I'd like to go to, if we're ranking ACC coaches, I'd like to go to a cookout with Jeff Collins is up there.
2: He's up there. I, I bet that guy, that guy parties. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, does. so, Georgia Tech, <laughs> they come into Saturday's game tied for 122nd in the nation with two sacks yellow jackets, then proceed to sack Sam Howell eight times. When you see a number like that with no context, the pitchforks come out for the offensive line. It's misplacing a lot of the blame though, when you're looking into it, because Sam Howell, like we just mentioned, he holds onto the ball has hold on has held onto the ball far too long. Mike overall, I think this, I was listening to um, the day after podcast and Jason Staples was kind of making the point that the, the, the holes for the running backs, they're not like these giant holes, but there are gaps for them to, to hit into. And it's just something where Javante Williams and Michael Carter, they had, you know, elite, elite vision where they're two of the top five backs in all of college football. And they were able to see some of these holes that were there. And if you have a guy like Javante Williams and Michael Carter on Saturday, a lot of these rushes that are going for no gain or one, one yard, you know, they're, they're having the chance to go six, 10 yards, 15 yards. If you have guys like Javante Williams and Michael Carter, and then obviously the eight sacks, a lot of that's not on their fault. When you're looking at this team run and pass wise, what was your kind of overall assessment on the offensive line for, for how they played is, is that kind of right where there are enough gaps there where the running backs should be hitting them and just, it's just a vision problem.
2: Yeah. I'm not as upset with them in the run game as I am in the past. Uh, I think the run game, they're doing what they need to do to be moderately successful. I mean, they're not doing anything in the run game where they shouldn't finish every game with at least a hundred yards, rushing legitimate hundred yards. That is net. That's net rushing. That's counting sacks and everything. So, you know, you put so that, you know, let's, let's call it the way that we're looking right now. That's 120 yards, you know, gross rushing yards every game. And that's just like by accident. That's just default. You walk, you walk into the stadium, we should just go ahead and pencil in 120 rush yards, hundred rush yards, you know, into the stat book uh, before we even, you know, flip the coin before kickoff. Um. I think what you have is you have inexperience at the running back spot, not in terms of snaps necessarily. We know that. I mean, we've got some older guys back there that are, you know, that are running. We've got some younger running backs, but we've got Ty Chandler. I mean, he's been around college football for a long time and has played, you know, at a, at a, at a, at a historically strong program and obviously the best conference in college football f- uh, for, for, a number of years and had success there. So it's not an experience on the field problem. It's a, it's a cohesion and an experience with the group problem. And guys like Ty Chandler are just, though he is extremely experienced back there and though he has played some football, he is becoming more and more familiar with his offensive linemen. They are becoming more and more familiar with him too. And then you get got a guy like Earl Hood's kid, Caleb Hood. Um, you know, you've, you've got him back there. I think he's going to be a really good player. You know, I know we've got other, you know, our other running backs. I think we have a good running back group. They just need time to become what Michael Carter and Javante Williams were. You know, we remember Michael Carter and Javante Williams the last two years, but they weren't – when they were freshmen, they had their own struggles. Um, you know, Javante had a fumbling problem. We forget that. Remember Wake Forest a couple of years back? Mm. You know, snaps off a 14-yarder right up the gut and fumbles. You know, that was just – and that led to a touchdown. And we ended up losing that game, and I, I traced the game back to that specific play as what turned that game. That was Javante. That was a Javante Williams issue. Yeah,
0: also the uh, the Virginia Tech game in 20, 2019 at UNC where they were going in, and he fumbled in inside yeah. the uh, the five-yard line.
2: Yeah, so, you know, we have, we have a recency bias with those guys. You know, they needed time to develop too. They needed the time to get comfortable with their offensive line and get comfortable with what they were good at. And they had to figure out what they were going to be good at. And what they turned out to be really good at was ultimately hanging on to the football, real, you know, Tiki Barber type of development, hanging on to the football and also field vision, you know, being able to see the gaps when they opened and that, that sort of thing takes some time. Um, and it takes about four or five games in season. If you don't have the, the luxury of multiple seasons together, usually by week four or week five, you're going to be able to see what you have from the running back spot in terms of their relationship with their offensive line. I don't think we have a ton of issues in that relationship. They're just hammering out kinks. Um, you know, what we saw against Virginia is what they're capable of doing. If they're not getting any exotic looks and they're not getting ex- exotic fronts. Um, also, if the offensive line is taking care of what it needs to do on the ground in terms of their run, you know, their run fits and their assignments, Virginia is very indicative of what they're capable of doing. Georgia Tech threw some stuff at them that was sort of exotic, but not really. Where we got in trouble was, again, burying our heads in, in our run fits. It's the same problem as in pass protection, just slightly different result. But it's the same general issue. You bury your head in the run game, your hips are going to come up, your feet are going to slow down or altogether stop, and you're not going to get movement. That's just how it works. It's, it's, it's kinesiology. And we were doing the same thing in the run. So, you know, you, you, the other issue you have when you bury your head in the run game is you can't see run throughs. You can't see linebackers. You can't see movement. You can't see things developing in front of you. Um, You know, so when your head's down and you're burying the crown of your helmet into another guy and you're essentially staring at the grass underneath you, instead of staring into his, into his pads or into his face mask, so that you can see things with your peripheral vision, you're going to have trouble as an offensive lineman in the run. The pass we'll get to, um, but that's in terms of the run game. I don't, I think I think the holes are there. I think we're blocking it up properly. I think it's a matter of just putting it all together. The running backs hitting the hole when it develops um, and taking advantage of what I think is decent decent run blocking up front. But Jason was absolutely right. You know the way the way the run works, you're not going to see giant holes. You just drive a bus through. Sometimes that happens, but that's not how plays hit. You know people talk about the NFL separation. You know being open. Is not really what being open is in college. It's the mm-hmm. the run game. Think of it in the with respect to the run in college. It's the exact same sentiment. The you know the hole you know a run breaking is not the hole isn't as big. It isn't as wide open. Um, it isn't as visible as you might think it should be. Like it's not high school. Um, it's it's there and then it closes. It's gone real quick. So it's just a matter of being patient. Like we saw Michael Carter and Javante Williams get really good at doing, being patient, letting it develop in front of them, and then hitting it, just having that you know, having that extra gear to just put your foot in the ground and go. That's what made them really good. That's what made us really successful on the run. And I think we're capable of doing that. We have the pieces to do that. I think Caleb Hood and I think Ty Chandler are definitely capable of that. I want to see if the rest of the running back room is. Um, so I don't think the running game is the problem. Although I do take issue, which I'm sure we'll get to, on not being able to get one damn yard on third and one and fourth and one, um, I do take major issue with that. But uh, but generally, I think we're fine in the run game.
0: EJ defensively, Carolina only allowed 81 yards at in the first half, and that's including getting put in a couple of bad situations. They lose the turnover battle to two nothing in the first half, and the defense for the most part it was it was a bend but don't break type of defense. What did you see from the defense in the first half that allowed for them to to find success and be successful early
1: on? They played fast and they played physical. I mean, our guys were humming around. We kind of saw, and and that's one observation that I made is that we actually came out playing like we usually play in the second half. In the first half, there was energy. Guys were running through people on our blitzes and on our pressures. And we honestly were, we we had decent coverage behind some of our blitzes. I mean, we really looked like a well-tuned offensive machine, but – what broke us yesterday what broke us on uh, on saturday the quarterback run, the old quarterback run that has been plaguing us kind of going back to the point that you made that it seems like we're regressing. I mean, anytime, and, and, and a lot of people out here and listening and watching this may think that regression means that we're getting worse at something. But if we're talking about the same issues for the, for three seasons, four seasons, that's regression because in football, if you're not getting better, you're regressing because everybody else around you is getting better and is fixing their mistakes, but we're still talking about quarterback runs. We're still talking about our uh, fourth, down conversions even though we did a damn good job on third down it just seems like we kind of stop them on third down and say okay fourth down we don't have to play that hard they're going to be nervous enough and they're stopped themselves and and, and I think that's a lot of what we saw in the second half I mean we were a tired kind of battered beat up defense in the second half and I mean you you think about the first four drives that we had I mean field goal I mean block punt uh, sack three and out field goal field goal and one of those were after a bad pass interference penalty and even after a fumble then the next drive we come back they punt then after that that's when they switch the quarterback up that's when they get the faster more experienced guy in there and they start running the ball right down our throats i mean it's it's it was just kind of it was a lot of disheartening mixed with a lot of things that 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 were encouraging to me but we just shouldn't be in that position i mean why why can't we play the same type of football in the second half we as we did in the first why can't we Get, why can't we read our keys and stop a simple zone option? I mean, guys were out of position all day. I mean, we saw Eugene Asante come in the game and completely overrun overrun a play. We saw Don Chapman completely overrun a play. So maybe we were playing a little bit too aggressively on Saturday because, I mean, some of the plays that we should have made, we weren't making. I mean, we, we, we were missing sacks. We were just overrunning the ball, probably playing a little too fast. But... I would really like to see our guys calm down. I would really like to see us go out and, and, and actually stop somebody, but, it doesn't look like that's going to happen if we can't stop the quarterback run. I mean, I, I don't make, I don't know if it's kind of like what you guys were alluding to with offense. I don't know if it's a defensive scheme thing, because no matter the personnel, the athletes that we have, we can't stop the quarterback run. No matter if we're in a three down lineman, whether it's in our regular front, we can't stop the quarterback run. And that's as simple as reading your keys. I mean, this looked like old Georgia Tech football back in the day. Um, when they were running that old read option. And I mean, you have to dedicate yourself to stopping that. If we know that we're doing everything else well, we need to adjust our defense and we need to stop that. With with the athletes that we have out there, Cedric Gray, Kimon Rucker, um, Jaquarius Conley, Jeremiah Gimmel, um, even Ray Vahasek, I mean, these guys can run down a play. They can hold up their lineman and they can read keys and make football plays. So I don't understand why we're not getting to a more simplified defense to try to stop some of these things. So I honestly think maybe we coached our way out of stopping that uh, stopping the read option but something needs to be done to that because every week quarterbacks are just running the ball on us and even even if it's not a mobile quarterback that's going to get us for hundred yards it's the big plays i mean and this goes all the way back i remember to that same virginia tech game at home in 2019 where we had a quarterback who was borderline immobile running for 15 20 yards up the middle getting big first down and fourth down conversions. so it's not only that the quarterback's running on us, it's when he's running on us, it's the situations. They're usually for first downs or touchdowns. They're not just five-yard runs here, six-yard runs here. They're big plays that are happening from the quarterback running the ball. And until we fix that, we're not going to be competitive in the ACC or in any other league or anyone else that we play because they're going to take out the, the traditional pocket passer, put in a dual-threat quarterback, and just let them run 475 yards. So and, until we fix that, we're going to continue to regress um, and look, look worse and worse on defense uh, from a week-to-week basis.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess the follow-up – well, first – the first point I wanted to make was the defense. They, they came out so strong on, on Saturday. I remember when I was down on the sideline, I was like, after Sam Howell had the, the rushing touchdown – and I think the defense forced like a three and out that ended with like a Miles Murphy sack. And you, mm-hmm. just, you just saw like all this town on this field for North Carolina, Miles Murphy, Aquarius Conley, Tony Grimes. Uh, offensively, you have somebody like Sam Howell. You have a bunch of guys who this Carolina team expects to be playing on Sundays. I was like, oh, this game is going to be a walk in the park. And then maybe it was a case, of the offense, they had, uh, they, they, they did it a little too easily going down that first drive because they just did not look the same throughout, put the defense in a ton of bad spots. But I've also seen the people um, who are wanting to see more younger guys on the field, EJ, um, you know, guys like Ra Dilworth or power Eccles. When you have somebody like Jeremiah Gemmel playing 64 snaps and I just want to preface it by saying, Jeremiah Gimmel played 64 snaps. He was the highest graded player on this Carolina defense it goes back to the point we've kind of made sometimes where it's like, if, if you think this Carolina defense has problems, you take <laughs> Jeremiah Gimmel out of that. They're going to, they're from, from talking with people, from watching them. If you take Jeremiah Gemmel out of this equation and take him off the field, we're going to be talking about even more problems.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, I think, and, and, and people think that things look bad now. Yeah, we want to see all these exciting young guys come on the field. But without Jeremiah Gimbel, we go from a below-average defense to an incompetent defense. I don't think there's any way we operate. I mean, that's kind of like when I'm in my, my early days of playing, if you had a taken a guy like a Mark Pascal off the field or if you take a guy like Quan Sturdivant off of the field, yeah, we had a lot of talent around us, but these were the glue guys. These were the guys that understood every level of the defense from what the secondary is doing to what the linebackers are doing to what the defensive line is doing. He's a coach on the field, and – for one, he's obviously our best player on defense. He's getting great. He carried out the highest playing 64 snaps. For a linebacker, for anybody playing defensive or offensive football, that's impressive to do when you're playing the most snaps and have the highest grade. So, we know, we don't take him off the field. We find creative packages to get some of those guys off the field, I think, to on the field to really highlight what they do well. Um, with Power Eccles, I think it's his speed and his power and the tenacity with the way he plays football. So, yeah, you put him out there um, with Jeremiah Gimmel. Let him blitz. Let him rush the pass. Pass or let him play the hard nose football he likes to play. But I mean, with that's like saying, oh, the the the, the Buccaneers aren't moving the ball. Let's take Tom Brady out. It, it makes no sense. It's like, why how, how do you make a problem better by making things immediately worse? So no, Jeremiah Gimmel doesn't come out of this game unless he's hurt or unless he's cramping or tired. Other than that, he should be playing the most snaps every game. And I guarantee you he's going to be one of the highest, at least top three or five grade outs that we see.
0: Exactly. Uh, Mike, you, you, uh, alluded to it before Carolina in the second half, the, the defense forces a three and out Carolina's offense comes back out Carolina before the Jordan tech game had been outscoring teams 80 to 21 in the second half. So you're like, maybe, maybe now the offense is going to start to put together. I think it was a, a Todd Chandler rush first and nine second and one, no gain third and one no gain fourth and one you don't have a play ready you call a timeout you come back on the field fourth and one no gain take us through what that was like watching for you what was going on did you agree with the decision to go for it on fourth pre post timeout what were you kind of seeing there
2: um things were stalling out offensively and we needed some type of spark So I agreed with the decision to go for it. Conventional wisdom and the coaching books will tell you that if you're going to go ahead and go for it in that situation, you're behind the 50, okay? So you're in their territory. And I guess you're in your own territory. I always get that confused. You're you're on your side of the field, okay? Sub 50. And it's not late in the game. You don't have to go for it. It's not really panic mode. Um, it's not a risk you have to take in that situation. So if you're going to be aggressive and go for it, and then you roll out there and you realize guys aren't lined up properly or you don't have the right play called and you have to burn a timeout, the coaching handbook will tell you, cut your losses, punt the ball, live to fight another day. That's all well and good in the abstract. But with this game specifically, I was watching that, and I was going to be real disappointed if Mac decided to pull that play and punt it even after the timeout. The reason being that team needed a message sent to it. If you can't get one yard against this team, you don't deserve to win this football game. Understanding is going to put your defense in a bad spot. It might end up in points, might shake the confidence of your defense a little bit, might frustrate them to be put in another bad spot, backs against the wall like EJ talked about. But the bigger picture there is, You're sending a message to your team that you better be able to get one yard. You're going to have three shots at one yard. You're sending the message to the players and you're sending the message to Phil Longo and to Stacey Searles. You guys better have players on that field and have, have schemes drawn up and have them coached in such a way that they're going to be able to get one yard. And they didn't. And I was fine with it. I was fine with the turnover on downs because I thought this might wake them up a little bit. This might send the message that it needed to send and they'll come back from it, or they'll go in the tank. What happened was they went in the tank. That was more disconcerting than not converting the fourth and one or the third and one or the second and one before that. Um, The inability to response and the lack of response that we had with respect to that drive. And with that attempted fourth down conversion was more disheartening to me than the actual end result of it yeah that's my that that that's my answer get it get a yard
0: (laughs) get a yard and if you can't get a yard get off the field (laughs) I 1000% agree with you Carolina had to go for it in that situation like you said if, if you can't get one yard just just head off the field go back to the airport get on the plane go back to Chapel Hill uh you don't you don't deserve to win a game if you can't get one yard on, on three downs. Uh, so we're going to conclude the podcast with the way we did it last time with say something nice
2: positivity pod. E- mm. Mm. <laughs>
0: EJ, we could start mm. with you. If you have something ready.
1: I do. Um, honestly, I mean, in, in, in the gloom and doom, that is this game. I mean, you think about it. Um they start fourth drive of the game. They started the ball on our 10 yard line. That was a field goal. They started the ball on, they started with the ball on the 40 after um, that turnover on downs. It it was a quick quarterback touchdown. So basically what I'm saying is, I mean, I mean, and that's drive eight where, where they really couldn't bounce back from that. I mean, that's after really playing, I think a resilient game. So we see that our guys can bend, but not break. It's, Positivity, positivity. Our guys can bend but not break and handle some of these things. I, I won't go into what the bigger picture of the, or the deeper analysis of that, but I will say that I was really proud of our guys, how we came up and really had our offenses back um, after – After um, they had some of their mistakes, Um, I mean, it's kind of like last year where the offense kind of they kind of over overcame for us. And I mean, even in games this year, like it's we have to score 50 points to win. But I I think this was one of those games where we really had the offenses back. We didn't have it quite enough, but um, I'm really happy with what we've seen. That was one uh, area of progress that I did see that we came out with our hair on fire, ready to play and showed a little resiliency.
0: Mike, if you take my, say something nice, I'll be severely disappointed,
2: but I'm going to, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and let you go first. So what's your, say something nice. Um, it's, it's three points. I already sort of made them at the beginning of the pod, but I'll raise them again here. Uh, number one, we can clearly score in droves when we have to. So late in the game, we put together, you know, midway through the third quarter, we put together two drives or we scored quick. It was efficient. It was surgical. Um, there were very few mistakes at all level, at all position groups. Um, there are very few mistakes. Things were executed cleanly, and we put points on the board fast when we had to. So, when we need to score and we absolutely must score, we're able to do it. We should be doing that the entire game. It shouldn't take dire straits to force us into that situation. That's number one. Number two is I think we found our offensive line combination, um, which is a relief. Um, it's frustrating for me because I don't know that it includes Brian Anderson right now with the caveat that I think he's still hurt and it's somehow affecting the way that he's playing. I don't know how it's affecting the way he's playing. I don't know what his injury is doing and how it's making him change his technique and and whatnot um, or how it's affecting him in a negative light from a physical performance standpoint. But whatever it is, I hope he gets over it and I hope he fixes it because I want him on the field. Um, But for right now, I think our offensive line combination is what we saw on those two drives that scored midway through the third quarter. That's Q Johnson at center and the rest of the guys combined around him. Um, So that's 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 positivity pod point number two. And number three is, again, pressures off, you know, the expectations are gone. No one expects Carolina to do anything at this point. Um, I've already bought my championship game tickets. I bought them the week before the Virginia Tech game. I would hope to be able to use them and not have to sell them to somebody. I would also hope that they're valuable enough to sell. Because right now, I don't know that they are, no matter who's in the the Wake Forest fans are going to be coming. Oh, boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wake versus Louisville is going to be a real barn burner.
1: Fun times.
2: Um, (laughs) But, you know, seriously, pressure's off. You guys can go out and just play ball now. You don't need to worry about it. Who cares what you're ranked? You're not going to be, and you're not going to be for a long time. But if you go 10-2, and you will be. You'll be ranked decently high. You'll get a really good bowl game, Um, and you'll be able to go out on a high note. So try and run the table. You know, I've predicted that our October is going to be pretty rough. Um, Florida State needs a win. Don't look at that record. They need a win. That's going to be a tough game at home. You got to beat Duke. You got to beat Florida State. You got to beat Miami. Um, You know, and then you got a rough one at Notre Dame. But maybe by then we have enough confidence built that we actually, you know, we knock off Notre Dame. Things look a little, things might look a little special at that point. So pressure's off. Just go play free. That's it. That's my three points.
0: I've, I've also noticed that, like, whatever you're expecting from this team, you can don't. kind of don't yeah, don't. yeah. So if you're expecting to get blown out at Notre Dame, it's going to be a close game. If you're expecting a blowout this week against Duke, <laughs> it probably won't be, but my say something nice. I'm, I'm on the sidelines on Saturday and I'm, I'm in a tough spot because I'm, I'm, I'm there to be objective, but I'm also a Carolina letterman. I, I like to see the team have success. So in the in the midst of everything, the team going down, not looking good. The one thing that put a smile on my face, it was the big guy two point conversion, the Caden the Caden Baker two point conversion. That was that was pretty live, dude. That was live. <laughs> it
1: when was you, the number, man. <laughs> when you
0: can, when you could get somebody in the end zone that's three hundred plus pounds wearing the jersey, the ninety two jersey that wearing the EJ
2: Wilson ninety two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you have to put the no name jersey on it to make him an eligible player and then it was it was the build up cuz I watched it back on the TV broadcast after where he gets he gets the catch and it's like who who is this and like you can't tell until he pulls the jersey off
2: <laughs> and then you could see the bake we That's had a one great those, social
1: media moment if we win that game.
2: We had one of those designed for me for the entire 08 season, and we never got a chance to run it. We ran it in practice every single Thursday, and we never got it. It was it was essentially the exact same play, and we never, you never, just, we were you never, just never itching got a chance for to your opportunity. I was itching for my opportunity. I had my 82. See, I had my name on the back though, so I, <laughs> okay. I they get they, they Damo and Yako and those guys at least gave me a, a jersey with my name on the back. Um, <laughs> But I was glad that you're right. I was glad to see, glad to see Big Fatty get the Big Fatty touchdown. <laughs> that's, he'll have that for the rest of his life. That's yes. the coolest thing that's going to yes. happen to him. He yes, could be totally. he could been an All-American. That'll be the coolest thing that ever happens to him. The,
0: the two-point conversion catch. It's, it's, it's just seeing the process of the catching, the celebration, seeing the, the team celebrating with him on the sideline. It's Great like, route, by the way, in the knee braces <laughs> yes. too. The lateral
2: movement. I mean, it was perfect.
0: <laughs> Anytime you could get a lineman scoring, a two-point version, a touchdown, anything, I'm, I'm always signing up for it. Mm-hmm. But, guys, a great podcast this week, despite the topics talked about. Carolina <laughs> back in action Saturday, October 2nd, a noon kickoff against Duke for the victory bell on ESPN2. Guys, thanks for your time.
1: Thank you. See you. Okay, picture this.